You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. Today, we continue our summer sermon series, I Am, with a message from Pastor Megan Wood titled, Bread. Let's check it out. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. It's beautiful outside. Hopefully you got some fun plans for today to enjoy the sunshine. Uh, Good morning if you're joining us online this morning. You know, um, one of the things I loved about that missions video today is we actually had the opportunity to bo- to meet Rocco and Diane a couple of months ago. They were here for um, for our time, and they, um, as we were talking with them, just their hearts for Argentina and that this vision that they have for this building is just it's so incredible. And I love just hearing from our missionaries and just the things that they're seeing and in the countries that they serve and the passion that they have for it. At the info desk, we actually have little prayer cards for them. So if you want to, you can go ahead and grab one of those on your way out today. So last week, we started the I Am series. So last weekend was our first weekend, and Tom kind of started us off. He talked about the phrase, I am, and talked about how God is greater than we can imagine and so much bigger and we can't quite comprehend how great and awesome that he is. The phrase I am points back to when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And it was a direct way for Jesus to declare his divinity by saying, I am. And this, like I said, started off our summer series last weekend, but we're going to be looking for the next several weeks at the seven different places where Jesus says, I am. And I get the opportunity of starting us off this week with the first I am in the book of John. I am the bread of life. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, So many of you might have had the opportunity to meet my in-laws. They were here for about three weeks, and it was a great time. Well, one of those weeks, um, Tom and I took it off for vacation, and one of the trips we took was up to Niagara. And it was amazing. I'm sure many of you in this room have been there and um, seen the falls and how incredibly large they are. And um, any other waterfall you see from after, after you see that seems so small in comparison. But as you know, we don't live in Niagara. You have to drive to get to Niagara, and it's about two and a half hours. It's not that bad. But when you have small children in, in the car, it is horrible. <laughs> I'm sure that we all can relate. If you have ever been on any type of road trip with small kids, it doesn't matter if it's 30 minutes or it's eight hours. From about 10 minutes into the trip, you start getting questions like, are we there yet? How long is it going to take? I don't know if this is a good idea. Um, To why did you take us on this trip? This is the worst vacation ever. I don't know if you can relate with me, but that was our trip up to Niagara. Was all, the whole entire trip was, when are we gonna get there? This is the worst trip ever. We shouldn't have come here. All of these things. But you know what was interesting is when we got to Niagara and my kids looked out at these, the falls lit up at night. And when we went out on the boat, 
they had smiles on our faces. And here's a few pictures of our trip to Niagara. Um, those faces don't represent the car ride. Look at them, they're having a great time. There you go, Elijah is happy there, I promise. <laughs> and then there is all of us um, at the falls. So it was, it was a wonderful trip despite the two and a half hour drive. But can't we relate? Because we don't always trust that God's gonna provide for us, right? Sometimes we ask those same questions. Why God? Or this was a bad idea. I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. We can feel that way too. And sometimes we get in our own way of God providing for us. So as I was thinking about this this week, I had this question that I was asking myself, why don't we trust that God will provide for our needs? Why don't we trust? So our main scriptures that we're going to be looking at today are in the book of John, John chapter 6, and it's in the latter half of that chapter. And in that portion of Jesus' teaching, he points to a number of passages from other scriptures. So we're going to be kind of jumping around a lot, but I promise we'll get there. But we're going to take a look at some of those scriptures because I think it's really important when we understand what Jesus was saying. We need to look sometimes a little bit deeper. So, but first we need to look at a very famous moment in Jesus's ministry. And that is the feeding of the 5,000. So in the beginning of John chapter 6, it starts off with this story. This story of Jesus drawing this crowd to himself. And what has just happened is Jesus has gone on to do many miracles. He has healed many people. And that has gathered a large crowd around him. In fact, it says here 5,000 people, which is a lot of people, right? So they're gather he's gathering this crowd around him. And of course... The crowd is hungry because they haven't eaten all day and they're there and there's no food. And he, Jesus asked the disciples, he says, how are we gonna provide meal for these people? And the disciples start to question and say, this would be so expensive for us to provide food for everyone. And then there's this little boy who steps forward and he has, it says, five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus says, to his disciples, he says, go ahead and start dispersing the food. I can only imagine as the disciples, that must have seemed so crazy and so stressful carrying this five loaves and two fishes and looking at 5,000 people and wondering how this is going to feed them. But as we know how the story goes, we end up having enough food to feed everyone. Jesus has enough food. In fact, Jesus says after, he says, let them have as much as they want. They can take as much food as they want. And as he ends, after everybody has had food, Jesus says, go collect what's left over. And they had 12 basketfuls of food left over. And then this brings us to verse 14 where it says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. 
See, the reason that the crowd thought that Jesus might be this prophet and that they, is because they were expecting this prophecy to come true. A prophecy from Moses, and it is in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, it, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. They thought that Jesus was a prophet like Moses, and therefore would provide for his people as Moses did. They believed that the feeding of the 5,000 was a sign, just like Moses had provided for God's people with manna. And this is what it goes on to say. This is what it says in Exodus. So we're going over to Exodus. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. See, the Israelites had been freed from Egypt, and they were wandering the desert, and they're hungry without food, and they had begun to complain and wonder whether they would, were better off back in Egypt in slavery. And this is what the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary has to say regarding manna. It says, God provided the manna on a daily basis to the Israelites through all the years of their wanderings. They were told to take only one omer, which was about two liters, per person, but on the sixth day, they were to take twice as much so that it would last them through the Sabbath. Following the Lord's command, Moses instructed Aaron to put some manna in a jar that was to be kept in the tabernacle as a memorial for future generations. Near the end of the Israelites' wandering, Moses explained to them that the manna was part of God's testing. The Lord Jesus alluded to the manna at the time of his temptation in the wilderness. Later in his ministry, he claimed to be bread from heaven. See, manna was God's provision to his people, the Israelites. The Israelites understood that manna was God's way of showing them that they could put their trust in him. And here in a few verses, we will see where Jesus claims to be the bread of heaven. So then we look further in John 6, and this is, and we see that the crowd finds Jesus. So remember, he went away to hide, and they find him. And it says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and went across Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For, the God, for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. This reply from Jesus is very similar to the reply he gave to the woman at the well in chapter 4, where, it said, where Jesus said, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. 
it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, in both instances, they believe he's talking about physical food and physical water. But he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about a permanent solution to provide for our spiritual needs. This means our deepest needs, our deepest hurts, our deepest concerns, the broken areas of our life, that he will provide provision for those. Not only will he provide provision, but he is the provision. It's all that we need. And it goes on to say in verse 28, they replied, we want to perform, perform God's works too. What should we do? This is also a very similar reply to what the woman at the well had. And then it says, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness, the scripture says. Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. I find this interesting because it didn't seem to matter that he just had miraculously fed 5,000 people. They still didn't believe. They wanted more proof, more miracles. And that's because they had a very specific idea of what they thought this should look like. And Jesus answers by saying this, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. See, Jesus' mission is to bring salvation, to sustain them eternally, not to provide them with more manna, not to just meet their physical needs but to meet their spiritual needs, like only he can do. See, I was reading this week that it was actually thought that the same way in which manna was provided to the Israelites, that they believed that this was gonna happen again. They believed that manna would fall from the sky again, and it would mark the coming of the Messiah. So they were looking for these physical signs they were looking to wake up one day and see manna everywhere again. And that that would be the proof that they needed to know that the Messiah was there. But it, said, you know, it goes on to say in verse 41 through 42, this is their response after he says, 
I've done all of these things for you. I'm going to do all these things. He says, then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? Because they knew in that moment what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying that he was the, he came down from heaven just as manna came down from heaven. And I can only imagine what they must have thought of that statement. That this Jesus that they knew, they knew his family. Jesus is claiming that he came directly from heaven. That must have been a very strange thing for them to hear. But Jesus replies, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. And I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. He's using the manna to illustrate who he is. Manna was undeserved. They didn't have to work for it. It was just there. They woke up in the morning and they collected the manna because it was God providing for his people. However, it says that the manna you are fixated on is great and all, but everyone who ate of it eventually died. So even though your physical needs were met, your eternal needs were not met. But the bread Jesus has to offer is eternal life. And it goes on to say, anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they ask. So at this point, Jesus goes on to say some things that um, are very strange. And they weren't, aren't just strange for us to hear today. They would have been strange for the crowd that was around him to hear. Because the law says that you cannot drink the blood of another animal or a person. You can't drink blood, period. And Jesus goes on to say, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And the crowd looks at him very strangely and is like, how could he say this? But he wasn't talking literally about eating flesh and drinking blood. He was talking figuratively. See, Jesus is talking about our faith here. He's talking about partaking in the salvation that was about to come from the crucifixion. That we are to be consumed with him. That's what he's talking about. That we should be consumed with him. So I am the bread of life means I am your provider, sustenance, and giver of life. 
Again, we're going to look back at that verse. This is our main scripture for today. It says, John 6, 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This life that Jesus is talking about, when he says, I am the bread of life. Life here, the Greek word is zoe. And it means life, both of the physical and of spiritual existence. That in him, there is this fullness of life. That he meets both our practical, our physical, our spiritual, and eternal needs. He can meet them all. Manna met their physical needs. It did not meet their spiritual needs. Jesus is promising here something greater than what they had thought. That he was going to meet their eternal needs. That the things that they had concerned themselves and worried about were not nearly as important as what he was offering. So here are a few thoughts. The first thing is Jesus is our practical provider. See, bread in the Bible, it represented God's provision. And here are just a few examples of where we see this. There's lots of them in the Bible. You can look it up later if you want to in a topical um, dictionary or Bible, and it will guide you to all of those things. But the first one is, we just read about it in Moses and the manna, right? The so what happened is after they fled Egypt, that they wandered around the desert, and God then commands Moses to build this tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a mobile tent that was constructed when the Israelites left Egypt. So again, this is after they've left Egypt, after the manna, and God provides this instruction to build this tabernacle. And I actually have a picture here for you guys up on the screen of what this tabernacle looked like. So you had three different areas of the tabernacle. You had the outer courtyard, which is that outer part over there near where it says east. And that consisted of the altar where they would do their sacrifices and um, the bronze laver where the priests would wash their hands before going into the tabernacle. So this is where anyone could be. This is where they would come. They would offer sacrifices. They would worship God in this area. And then the next area is the holy place, which had another few things in there. It had the altar of incense. It had the golden lampstand and a table with some showbread on it. And then the other area was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept and where they believed the presence of God was. And it was in this area that no one could go, not even the priest, except for one time a year, the high priest would go in there for the Day of Atonement. But the priests were the only ones who could go in that other area, the holy place. And it seems kind of odd because when you think of like a temple, and you think of things that might be in there. Candles make sense. Incense makes sense. But table with bread? That seems kind of strange. But the show, it was called the showbread. And it served 
as an acknowledgement of God's provision for his people. It was them acknowledging, God, you have provided for us, and you will provide for us again. The showbread had to be made a specific way. There was a lot that went into it, certain measurements and all sorts of things. And it'd be placed in the tabernacle and then replaced every Sabbath and eaten by the priests. So we have the temple. And then we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We know this as the Passover. And it lasts for seven days. They still celebrate this today. And you eat bread that has no yeast for seven days. And that is there to represent the bread that the Israelites took with them when they left Egypt. And we know this was later replaced with manna. And the Passover is to reflect on how God provided for his people when they left Egypt. So bread is used as an example of God's provision, him meeting our physical needs. But we don't really quite understand this now because if I need a loaf of bread, I just go down to the store and I buy it. If I decide today I want to have grilled cheese sandwiches, I just drive three minutes down the road to the store and pick up some bread. But this wasn't the case for the crowd. They, had, they were responsible for every part of this process. They were responsible for the harvesting of the wheat that went into the bread and for preparing and making the bread. So we don't quite understand this, how much work went into this. But the manna was something that the Israelites did nothing to earn. They didn't have to prepare it. They didn't have to harvest. But it provided for their practical needs in a miraculous way. Sure, they had to collect it. But God wanted them to depend on him to provide for them. So they were not allowed to collect more than a day's worth, with the exception of the Sabbath. They had to depend on God daily to provide, and that is what God wanted. That is exactly what he wanted. He wanted them to depend on him daily. And it's no different now. God wants us to depend on him daily. He wants us to recognize him as our provider. And I think about this in terms of tithing, because I know for myself and Tom, there have been many times where it would have been easier to provide for our own needs by looking at what we were tithing and giving to God and say, if I just stopped maybe just this month and used that money to pay that bill, then I could take care of it. We have this tendency of wanting to provide for ourselves. But you know what? I've known that every single time that I have chosen to still give God what is his and to depend on him and say, God, you are my provision, he has come through. There have been times where we have had mysterious checks that have come in the mail. I remember one time we had a check that came in the mail from the IRS. Like years later, the IRS doesn't just give out money. Anybody, you, we all know this, right? They don't just give out money, but they realized they had underpaid us. And so they were sending us money in the mail. And it was exactly what we needed. 
There have been other times where I didn't know I was getting underpaid at a job, and just as I needed, they realized they'd been underpaying me and sent me a check. There have been so many times that we, I cannot count them. I know that one time there, we were waiting on a check from the insurance company because um, someone had hit my car years before and it had to go into arbitration, all these different things, and I'd completely forgotten about it because it took so long. And we were wondering how we were gonna pay our rent that month, and all of a sudden, it comes in the mail at that time. God provides for us. And we know that he is our provision. In fact, you know, something that I have actually a very big dislike for is um, the prosperity gospel. If, you talk to, if you've ever talked to me about it, you know that I just don't love it. But one of the things is, is that I think that maybe we take it to the other extreme. That that's one extreme of things. But sometimes I think to correct that, we go to the other extreme. God doesn't want us to be trying just to figure out what we're going to do in the next step, and he doesn't want to keep us down. He wants to provide for us. He wants to be our provision. And in fact, when we look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, what does he say? He says, give us today our daily bread. We're supposed to pray that. Give us today our daily bread, that we need to depend on God every day for him to provide our needs. There is always going to be an opportunity to trust God more. Always. We never get to a point in our life where we just don't need to trust him anymore. Once we get through one thing and he provides for us, another thing comes up where we need him to provide for us. There will always be an opportunity to trust God more. See, the Israelites did nothing to provide the manna. The 5,000 did nothing to provide the loaves and the fishes that Jesus did. And we have done nothing to gain Jesus. We gain Jesus, the bread of life, without having to do anything. Jesus doesn't deliver the bread or bake the bread or buy the bread. He is the bread. He says, I am the bread of life. So the first thing was Jesus is our practical provider. The second thing is Jesus is our spiritual sustenance. And we're going to read back over a couple of verses that we read a little while ago in John 6. And this is what it says. But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. The only way we get to Jesus is by being drawn by our Father. It's the only way. Jesus is saying, I have come to provide something for you that no one else can. No one else can provide this. 
like we just talked, right? Like if I have a need, a physical need, if I can't meet it myself, there's a good chance that possibly someone else in this room can meet that need for me. But he is the only one that can meet this need. He is the only one who can give us eternal life. Those who ate the manna all eventually died. But Jesus came to offer life eternal. Jesus meets our most practical needs. It's right that we should look at him this way. We should look to God to meet our practical needs. Sometimes I think that in our Western civilization, like I said, it's easy for us to meet our own physical needs. And we understand that we have life eternal. But sometimes we do struggle with that. So that is a fair thing for us to realize that God provides for our physical needs. But he doesn't just provide for our physical needs. The message of Jesus is the power of eternal life. The fact that we were once destined for death and now we're destined for life. Something that only he could do, right? It says that death has lost its sting. That death has been defeated. That death has lost its grip on our humanity. This is a big deal. And I think sometimes in church, we forget how big of a deal that is. That is a big deal. And it was a big deal to the crowd around Jesus that day because they just knew God as their physical provider. And Jesus was saying, I have so much more to offer you than that. Manna fails to compare to what I have for you. We have to realize how important that is. It is so, so very important. So the first thing is Jesus is our practical provider. The second thing, he is our spiritual sustenance. And the third thing is he is our source of life. See, I used to work for um, an organization that partnered with Be The Match. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Be The Match helps um, find bone marrow donors for patients seeking out bone marrow, needing a bone marrow transplant. And basically what they do is the goal of this is to find as many people that are willing to be able to be a donor. Because if you need a bone marrow transplant, not just anybody will do. You have to have someone who has the perfect match. Somebody looking for a bone marrow transplant needs that to survive. Without that bone marrow transplant, they will die. It is a matter of life and death. And the thing about this is, is that from working in that organization, I learned that a majority of the time when they find a bone marrow donor, it's usually a stranger. It's usually somebody that they didn't even know that's willing to do this. But again, it has to be this perfect match. But the patient has done nothing to deserve that bone marrow. They have literally done nothing. And yet, there is this willing individual who's willing to sacrifice 
willing to give something to that person so that they might live. See, we have done nothing to deserve eternal life. Yet Jesus was willing and he sacrificed and he was the only match. The only match for it. So like those bone marrow donors that come forward and they, they say, yes, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to go through the pain of someone taking that piece of bone marrow so that somebody else might live. How much bigger is it that Jesus died on a cross so that we might live? He was the only one that could do it. And he did it. See, last week we learned that Jesus is greater than Abraham. And this week we learned that Jesus is greater than Moses. The Jewish people would fixate on Abraham and Moses and the miracles that were being done during their time. They had so fixated on these things. However, Abraham and Moses were not the sources of those miracles. God was. They would look to Moses as a hero. And it says that manna was provided by God the Father. And yet, they looked to Moses as the hero. We can put our faith and hope in Jesus because he is our provider. We can trust that Jesus, the bread of life, has and will provide for all of our needs. He will continue to do this. I am the bread of life means I am your provider, sustenance, and giver of life. He's not only our provider, but he is our provision. He is enough in of himself. Sometimes things don't quite work out the way we hoped they would, and sometimes maybe they don't even look like God is providing for us, but what we learn from this is that Jesus is enough in of himself. What he has done is enough. He meets all of our needs, and they're greater than the physical needs that we can fixate on. We have to be able to have this eternal perspective. It's so important. Our eternal perspective is vital. It's how we survive. It's how we are able to look at our own circumstances with a clear view. It's by having this eternal perspective. If we put all of these things into practice, this is what we would find. That being generous would become easier because we know God is the one who provides all of our needs. That our confidence would be unshaken in all of our circumstances because again, we know that God provides all of our needs. He is our provision. Our trust in God would grow. We would find it easier to have hope in all of our circumstances. We would start to begin to have an eternal perspective which would mean that our eternal perspective matters more than our temporal viewpoint. We would stop being dominated by fear and we would live confident because we are being drawn to Jesus. So Jesus is our practical provider. He is our spiritual sustenance and he is our source of life.
so one of the verses I want to go back to for a second is in John 6, 4. It says, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. There is the reason that you know God today is because he's drawing you to himself. And if you're in here today and you're, you feel that drawing, know that it's not me up here drawing you. It isn't your friends drawing you or your neighbors drawing you. It is God himself drawing you. And I love that verse so much. It's one of my favorite verses because I love this picture of us being drawn to Jesus. It makes it so much more intimate and it should make us feel wanted and valued and that God is desperate for us to know him. So I'm gonna ask everyone to go ahead and close your eyes today with me and bow your heads. If that is you in here today and you would say, I feel God drawing me to himself and I know that he's drawing me and I know I haven't made him the provider in my life, but today I wanna start. I want to start to know Jesus and I want to make him the provider in my life and know that he is my provision. If that's you in here today, if you would just go ahead and put your hand up. Yeah, I see you. Anybody else I can pray for? Yep, I see you. Yep. Anybody else that I can pray for? I'm looking over to my left, to your right, and just kind of making my way across the room. If that's you, I would love to pray for you. God so desperately wants you to know him and to know his goodness. Yeah. Anybody else I can pray for? looking over here to my right if I missed you go ahead and put your hand up again yeah all right and if you're online with us if you want to just click that I raised my hand button on there our prayer team wants to pray with you and I want to include you in this prayer can we go ahead, church, and give a hand to those who made a decision today, both in person and online? I can say it's easily the best decision I made in my life, and it will be the best decision you've made in your life. And just remembering that God is drawing you to himself. And that's not just for those who made a decision today, that's all of us. God continuously draws us. He never stops. So 
let's go ahead. I want to pray this prayer. It's on the screen behind me. If everyone would pray with me, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.